Welcome to Regenerative Risings, Elevating Stories, Activating Change podcast. I'm your host, Selene Diaris, and with me today is Matthew Rayford. Matthew, I'm so grateful to have you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I am well. I am well. It's a sunny, beautiful day here in Colorado. And how is the weather for you in Georgia? It's pretty beautiful right now. Um, We're supposed to uh, get another set of rainstorms coming in, but, you know, for us, it's March showers bring April flowers. So um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, we're hoping we're going to get the May showers to bring in our summer abundance because right. that's what happened last year. It was pretty, pretty fantastic. Awesome. So, Matthew, I'm so excited to have this conversation today. I'm really looking forward to see where we go together. Um, but I wanted to just begin by letting folks know who you are. And you are a farmer and a chef. You're based in Georgia. You grew up in Brunswick, Georgia, right along the Gullah Geechee corridor on uh, family land. This mm-hmm. family land is particularly exceptional when we think about its origins. It is uh, founded in 1874 by yeah. your great, great, great grandfather. Yes. Jupiter, Jupiter, is it Gilliard? Gilliard. Mm -hmm. Gilliard, who was a a slave and an emancipated man began purchasing land. Mm -hmm. And you guys are a centennial family farm in Georgia. So 150 years old and you and your sister, um, uh, Althea, Mm-hmm. have returned to run the, the farm since 2010. It's a beautiful story, which we'll get into, but I just wanted to give folks in the very beginning this appreciation for the fact that this is a Black-owned family farm that came into existence right after emancipation. And mm-hmm. that is an incredible thing. Incredible story. Yeah, it is very much so. I, You know, it's Jupiter Gilliard paid $9 in taxes for 476 acres of land in 1874 um, and had to swear allegiance to the 25th Georgia militia, saying that if anything popped off again, that he wouldn't sell to the Confederate, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, Being in uh, Georgia, a lot of people uh, think of only two places when they think of Georgia, think of Atlanta, and uh, usually Savannah is a close second. And we are 29 miles from the Florida state line. Uh, Brunswick, Georgia is five hours, four and a half hours from Atlanta (laughs) and about an hour from Savannah, below Savannah. So we are, yeah, we are at that deep, deep south, uh, but also uh, plant hardness zone nine. Um, So we are subtropical um, to be in the state of Georgia. Wow. And, you know, what what I find particularly incredible is also you had the time to create an incredible cookbook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Recipe. And I, I don't even want to try to say it. I might, might say it wrong. You won't. You won't. It's breast and yam. Breast and means, yam. Breast and yam, which means bless and eat in Gullah Geechee. Well, this cookbook, folks. It's gorgeous. I mean, uh, for those of you who are able to watch us, um, I'm holding up some pictures. My favorite kind of cookbooks are cookbooks with pictures because I want to know what my aspiration destination is when I'm cooking. (laughs) So I, I really appreciate that. Not only do you give beautiful imagery, but you also tell stories with every recipe. There's like some connection to family or place and or the heirloom vegetables or mm-hmm. the process of the hog. I mean, it's just an incredible expression of you and your family and your lineage. So I just I'm happy that I have it in my possession. We I ordered it right after I learned of its existence. So <laughs> yay you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the book has been getting some really awesome response. Um you know, I, I, I think any author, when they write any book, whether it be a cookbook or fiction or whatever, you know, they, they want it to do well. They want it to be accepted. And um, 
I feel that I've, I've bound over that portion of, of that, the, the response has just been amazing from the kind words that you just gave me just now about the book um, seems to resonate all the way through in all the comments, the, the pictures, the stories, the recipes all um, give folks a sense of place um, and gets them to feel like they're part of the cookbook more so than just a book that's just going to kind of might be a coffee table cookbook kind of a thing with just like nice pictures in it. But um, I really like how, how it came out. The team was amazing um, from uh, Southern Paprika that were the uh, food stylists and uh, photos. And I cannot say enough about Amy Page Condon who helped uh, co-write uh, the book. Um, she really ensured that she captured my voice. And I think that's why it took also those three years to get it from start to finish was a lot of uh, repetition, making sure that, that the words that I was saying were gonna you know, flow out onto the, onto the uh, pages. But also there was a lot of uh, recipe redoing um, because I was taking some recipes that were based upon pinches, dashes, and drizzles and trying to, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that is hard for those of us to translate what your pinch and our right. pinch is. Right, there you go, you know. Oh, the size of a black IP, wait, <laughs> what? Like, what did, What is that gonna do? That's, uh, that, that much salt isn't gonna do anything. Why are we just putting it in? Um, so there was a lot of those things too that kind of went on, you know, like, uh, you, you know, I, I, I literally put the recipe in there and didn't, didn't even think, did not think that they would even allow it to, to be there. Cause I thought they were going to think that it was something else. So the porcupine with marinara that's inside the book. Yeah. We of, are going out and killing porcupines. Right. We aren't going one. out. Killing porcupines. <laughs> You know, this is a meatball. I had that first when I looked, I'm like, okay, well, this is pretty Southern if this that's what we're about to do. <laughs> Get me some squirrel and right, I'm just not right, ready right. for that. <laughs> right. Squirrel, possum, and raccoon is what goes into that porcupine meatball. No. Um, <laughs> uh, no, thank goodness not. Those poor no, things. No, thank goodness <laughs> not. It, it can, you can, however, use ground pork or ground beef or ground lamb. Um, for me, it was, you know, I grew up eating this little meatball with rice in it and this tomato sauce on the top. And it was one of our favorite. Like my, mom, when my mom made this, I was like, oh, that's it's a whole meal. Right. All you need is like some bread to sop up some of the sauce kind of thing. Right but, on. Right on. Um, but it was really interesting because, uh, you know, you know, what's in the name. Right. So I put the title up there and no one even flinched. Everybody that's amazing. was like. Right. It was just like, oh, porcupine. And I was like, yes, it's a meatball. And they were like, with rice in it. And everybody just like, boom, we got it. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, I'm so glad because I thought I was going to have to go through the thing of like, so is it like a real porcupine? Like, how do you, you know, where do you even find porcupine meat? You know, <laughs> like, is there a porcupine? They don't have that at my Kroger's, right? Right, right, right. Or Piggly right. Wiggly. Is there Piggly, Piggly Wiggly? Wiggly? <laughs> there you go. Piggly Wigglies. There you go. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah. So, I mean, it was, the book was just amazing putting it together. I'm totally excited to um, get ready to start on the second book, which is, getting ready to be about companion planting and how planting things together um, create nutrient dense food um, and also create flavors and flavor profiles that we may or may not have thought about because we've pushed so many things to monocrop, right? Or right. we push things to where we only plant tomatoes here and the cucumbers go over here and the peas go way around there. And we don't plant these things together realizing that, uh, when plants grow, it's a symbiotic relationship, not just with the living soil, but also with the whole environment. So it would seem as though those kinds of things would be would uh, eventually go well together. Well, you know, and what I love is this is bringing your ecological horticulture mm -hmm. degree into play, I'm assuming. There you go. That and um, literally I am... What's this month? March. So April, March. May. Yeah, I'm literally three months away from finishing uh, my wellness coach 
Um, some I was looking to finish round rounding out uh, the knowledge base that I already had and putting it into like something very very concise. And so I I feel that this is um, the culmination of me being a chef and being a farmer and understanding how it affects people's health. Oh, and so I mean, woo. Yeah. So that's I'm, awesome. I'm, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm working really hard on that. And then the last piece is creating a soil lab here at the farm. And the oh, thing nice. is, is that, yeah, I, I really believe that um, I know, you know, we're talking about regenerative also that, that everything is to be whole. We have to look at all of the pieces. And I think that oftentimes we stick with one of the pieces and think that that one piece is it. Um, not realizing that it's not like we need, we need the farmer to get the food to the cook. Right. But we also need the farmer to, to do the right things with whatever it is they have and whatever it is they're doing so that when we get the food and transform it into something else, that it's the best possible thing we can possibly take in. And if we can get it to where it's more nutrient dense, because we all seem to be lacking the right amount of nutrients in our body to keep us healthy, um, that there's ways to incorporate those kinds of things. And so I'm really excited about this next level of cookbook. Um, I'm really excited about uh, where we're going. Um, also, just within the movement and food, like it, it's, it's not just good, clean and fair. It's like good, clean, fair, well, like done well, you know, right. um, yes. and, and for our well-being, And so, um, and I'm, I'm, I really like that, that you all's mission is, is pushing all of those things to make sure that, that, that circle keeps going, you know, and mm -hmm. that it gets bigger instead of it just staying for smaller. I, 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 um, I saw one of the clips, uh, from our, I think our last or next to our last time that we. Well, uh, it was the Regenerative Earth Summit in 2019 right. when we were actually together. Together, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was like 2019. I couldn't even, that is, wow, the, the times are all rolling together. But yeah, I mean, and to think that, you know, we've made it through, hopefully, um, this pandemic um, to the point that we can be civil and get back out and, you know, do what we must, uh, not just for ourselves, but for other people also. And I think that, that there's, a, there's a lot of lack in that arena of that it's not just about my individual rights, it's also about Celine's rights also to have and be able to feel okay with walking outside. You know, and I think that those are a lot of, you know, I, I really had a, I was just in San Francisco and I'll use that as my kind of a, a jump off spot where um, every restaurant that I attended that I went inside of asked me for my Vax and my ID. Wow. And I and I wasn't even drinking. Right. So I was like, what do you need to see my ID for? But it's just really interesting how. And make sure that are. was your Vax card, brother. Right. That's sure what they're making card. sure. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. And but you know, it, I didn't, I didn't equate that at the very beginning. I was like, a Vax card. I need my Vax card to go out to eat. Like I'm paying you. What do you, what do you, you know? But what's so interesting is the level or the heightened sense of well-being that people want to make sure happens, right? Because you know, I, I may be asymptomatic, and all of a sudden you know, the whole restaurant is like sick, you know? So I think that there's, there's that, like us, us thinking about, I don't like wearing a mask. I'll tell that to anybody in a heartbeat. Like I hate wearing the mask. I don't like wearing the mask. However, I understand why I need to wear the mask that if I'm okay, great. But what about everybody else? Right. And I think yeah. That, yeah. And I think that when we take, uh, when we take the look that, someone's infringing upon your rights when it's everyone's right to breathe clean air. It's everyone's right to have clean water. It's everyone's right to eat, um, eat well, right? I think that right. 
Yeah, I think that point you're raising, sorry, I sort of cut in on you there. No. The, we really have hopefully had at least the witnessing of the proposition that shared well-being is in it, it's good for everyone. Right. And so I, I, I want to kind of amplify that by circling back to what you started to say around companion planting, mm-hmm. because when I think about a regenerative path forward to, and, and also thank you for acknowledging our work at regenerative rising. I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. It means a lot to me. Um, you know, it's so important that this is truly holistic that we see when we go into those mechanistic patterns of trying to isolate down to singularity instead mm-hmm. of staying in the complexity. Complexity is challenging, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, to hold it is a is a big task, but we're designed to be able to do that. That's right. the good Absolutely. news. We're designed to be able to do that. We have mm-hmm. enormous brains that are underutilized. <laughs> so you know, there's that an part. opportunity. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> there's that. But when you think Definitely. about, you know, the nutrition challenge that you mentioned, which is broadly experienced, our soils are depleted mm-hmm. and everything about what's possible for this next iteration in, in human well-being is stewarding life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stewarding life, your neighbor's life, your yard's life, your own yes. life, your children's life, that tree's life, the, the all of it, really. You know, it, it, what's so interesting about what you just said there is um, I'm, I'm going to kind of say this like my like my grandmama would say or my nana oh, good. would say. You know, God ain't making no more land. <laughs> what right. we got is it. There is no more land. Zero. Like, I know people know about Dubai and how it was built, but God ain't making no more land, right? right. And the only thing that can really (laughs) sit in Dubai are buildings. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you have to bring in everything to that space. So I I always use that as a reference point when I want people to like, really like to think about what land is here is it. And if you look at, the hundred of uh, films that have been made where we uh, end up at other planets trying to uh, live, right? The storyline is always the same. We have destroyed the land that we're on and we got to find some more. Notice that they are no longer on planet Earth. You know, they're going somewhere else and not everybody can go. So it behooves us. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible, um, dystopic, futuristic notion. And (laughs) I'm so glad you pointed to that because I'm like, hello, we are extraordinarily creative, capable creatures. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of opportunity to heal on a lot of levels. We need to heal our relationships with each other. We need to be welcoming of any human being into our midst because they bring some new genius to the table. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then we have to start going, wow, you know, the birds, everything matters. As you said, this is all creation, creator, God, or evolution, whatever you want to put all, I don't really care as long as you get down to the place that you honor its existence. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm going to use your sense of place right now because I can see into your area. You Mm -hmm. know, I think the thought process that things can't coexist if they're different. If we look at the plant kingdom, we can do it. You have an orchid on one side and a snake plant on the other. They're (laughs) completely different plants One's extremely colorful and beautiful. The other literally looks like a snake is just like kind of climbing. They are coexisting in the same space, pulling in the same, they need the same amount of photosynthesis, you know, like us to think that we are so much different that we don't need all the exact same things is crazy. Both of those plants need water. Both of those plants need soil, but they're two different plants. They're, they're not, they're, like I said, and yeah. they're from different parts of the world, Africa right. and South America. South you know? America, so right? It, it's so true. I think and that if- kind of a conversation that we also need to have, you know, when we're 
when we're talking about like where we are and where we're going, because when we, when we, uh, when we get it to the point that everybody is the, the, the same, that's also where the thing of that creativity ends up being stifled because we're not all the same, right? Like there are people that have been born and raised in Colorado that cannot see themselves um, outside of vacationing here where it's so hot. <laughs> like you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, man, that humidity is tough. On uh, I mean, I grew up in the South. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm a I'm a Southerner. Well, uh, okay. All the way back on both sides of my family: South Carolina, North Carolina, and Tennessee. There you go. So I grew up with uh, the sweltering jungle. I used to swing on vines as a little yes. girl, and yes. you know, yes. so yes. I I know that very well. But you're 100 percent correct that you know these are different ecosystems and when i the th the part about us that is the same we all need clean air we all need clean water we all need nutrient dense food we all need love and mutuality and care there you go and a roof over there you our go. head and that and that's what i mean by saying you know we can't get it I, I think that in a lot of ways us respecting each other a lot of people think we have to be the same for us to be able to do that well, hell we need no. we right. <laughs> hell no. We need to be bio individuals that are that all have different needs and different wants, but it's still kind of caught on that same plane of food, clothing, and shelter. You right know, on. So I mean, I creativity and uniqueness and individuality. Mm -hmm. None of that has to go away when we say we still need to be in a state of reciprocity and mutuality. These are right. principles of regeneration. It's like mm -hmm. we were talking before we started recording about the lineage tradition of where mm -hmm. this wisdom is coming from that yes. we're kind of picking back up and that, you know, the white culture is starting to call it regeneration. I mean, it's getting adopted in a lot of places, but this is indigenous. This is mm -hmm. deeply, deeply historical from all parts of the world where living in right relationship to place, stewarding place, being mm -hmm. in respective place. I'd like to use that as a chance to move over to the people who are part of your lineage, the Gullah Geechee area mm -hmm. and how- Definitely. That's a powerful story of those folks who were coming over from West Africa and they brought rice and know-how and Peace. all sorts of, yeah. I mean, we have yeah. a lot of food that's part of our culture that we know came from Africa. Oprah. Yeah, peanuts. Yeah, I mean, you know. Dams. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm so Gullah Geechee that I love eating. As a matter of fact, when, when we first got on, I was actually eating a place a plate of rice and peas with uh, a little bit of ground turkey um and nice. what was so interesting was you know that when growing up if you ate rice all the time it was like oh you're so geeky you are just so geeky you know and <laughs> and it it felt bad sometimes i think you know what i'm saying because like uh, i am i'm sorry you know <laughs> um, but I think understanding why the know-how that we know is that's built into our DNA, I think I understand it better now that I'm also older. Because when you're young, you get caught up in names and 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 uh, the thought process of seeming like you're poor all the time and all those kinds of things, not realizing that part of those things is the building for you for the next whatever. Um, and that you can fight your way out of a wet paper bag. And so I really, <laughs> you know, that's true. There are people that can't. Um, I, I would venture to say that it's really interesting because um, I'll use something that, that a lot of us don't think about. And that is that um, way before there was a USDA, right? That was something that was created right? It wasn't in place, right? So for hundreds of years prior to the USDA coming along, there were people that were planting and doing these things and that had the know-how to do these things, 
to the next level. Right. Um, and now we are adopting those things, or not even adopting, we're renaming those things as though they weren't part of things way back when. And I'll, and I, we, we were talking earlier about fish and how, you know, we learned the story and I, I've been saying this for years and I'm never going to stop, I think, is that, you know, we learned that the pilgrims were able to survive from an ear of corn and a fish head being planted together. That the indigenous people taught the pilgrims how to do that. So for, even if we were to go back to that, which was the 1600s, right? 1600s, yes. Right? So we go back to the 1600s and then play it forward to where we are right now in 2022. To act like fish emulsion is brand new, to me is a slap in the face, right? Right, right. Because, and not only that, but here in the, in the South, root knot nematode is real. Like we got, like that little parasite just eats up and I used to ask all the time, why do we have oyster shells around all the vines and out in the field? And it was, oh, it keeps the bugs out. Because there was the, the name root knot nematode, if we were to go find when that name was created, it was somewhere within the 1900s, I can pretty much guarantee it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So what was it called? in the 16th century or the 17th century or the 18th century. I don't know. It was a bug that eats these things. And I noticed that when we put shells there and spark the calcium in the soil, oh, wait, calcium? Who knew what cal- you know, calcium wasn't even a... So it wasn't named. No, it wasn't you're named, right. right. And so, like, for us to start <clears throat> really regenerating things, I think we have to be more than just okay with calling out when someone isn't using things or giving homage to where things came from or originated. And if you don't know, that's fine, but do the work to find out so that you can then come back and then so that you aren't also, so you aren't later like doubling back, like, Ooh, I got to figure out how to get, Ooh, I should have said it this way. Why don't you just look it up? I mean, GU, Google University is a real thing. Like there's so much information that's out there that we can get our fingertips on that can connect us to the next thing and connect us to the next thing that is almost asinine for us not to do the work um, because we want the work to continue, right? We want to create Mm. legacy. And I think that right now how we change or even try to put a dent in what we've done so far as global warming and all that stuff goes like right now we've done so much damage that they're saying that like our children's children will be the recipient if we can get it back right what no i know it's 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 not acceptable. It's like, you know, you think about that you're a sixth generation farmer and that your children are the seventh generation. And in Native American tradition, there is a whole philosophy around seven generations out that we're planning for seven generations. And so mm-hmm. if you think about from your great, great, great grandfather to now that that same amount of time is like dwarfed suddenly and what we're talking about and in what terms we're talking of the about. Yes. climate yes. change. So we yes. have like a, a deep responsibility because mm-hmm. the fact that we're talking about it, the fact that we know it exists, then we have no excuse then to be doing everything we possibly can. And, and you know, another thing I'm really passionate about is trying to remind all of us, it's think global, act local. Mm -hmm. We have to use our wisdom practices where we are right beneath our feet. You're, you're going to do unique and different things where you are in South Carolina than I'm going to do here in Colorado because our climates are radically different. Yeah. Georgia is radically, I mean, like right now I was just talking to somebody, I think it was something like, Oh, I actually flew. I I just did a recording um, last week. I was flying into Denver from San Francisco to fly back um, here to Georgia. It was 14 degrees. Yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah. 
I looked out the window and and it was just snow everywhere as we were starting to descend. And I was, and you know, they come up, it's currently 14 degrees in Denver as we land. I was like, what the what? It was 82 here in Brunswick. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I didn't even- Oh I yeah, I know. The only thing I could think about was, Lord, please let me never have to walk outside of this airport because I don't have a coat. I, I had no coat. Like I flew from 80 and went to San Francisco and it was like 60 something. It wasn't that cool. I had a light jacket, you know? No, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling to sort Very of go, humbling. wow, there's so much, there's so much differentiation. And yet at the same time, the fundamentals of, of still they're the same. I mean, that to me is like what's both beautiful and powerful about this moment is like, <laughs> we don't have to agree on the, on the minutiae. What we have to agree on is this more overarching shared intentionality. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's important for us to lean into what does mutuality mean? What does reciprocity mean? What mm -hmm. does, you know, ev the evolving wellness of place mean? What mm -hmm. does care and love look like in action as opposed to just sentimentality? You know, you how know do we live that? It's, it's interesting you say that because um, I was just at UC Berkeley and one of the things that I challenged the students on there was exactly what you just mentioned. Think globally, act locally. And so what I said to the students, well, I actually posed a question. I said, we've heard a lot about the Amazon rainforest and there's a lot of money being sent to, to reforest the Amazon. I said, but can anyone give me a show of hands on who's reforesting California from all the burn that has happened? And it was like crickets. And I said, well, let's just think about that now. Like we're worried about the Amazon. That oxygen's a long way away from us. <laughs> And everybody in the room did just like you. They started laughing. They were like, oh, snap. I hadn't really thought about it like that. I said, yes. I said, no one is talking about planting trees in California. I said, that for me lets me know that fundamentally we got this thing that we're going to be savior for everybody else and never forget that the airplane says when the mass drops, you put it on yourself. You cute and all, I love you, but I got to take care of me first and put my oxygen mask on. Hold up now. We are in that airplane right now. Yes, we <laughs> are. The oxygen mask has not only fallen, they're telling us to grab our seat as a flotation device. That's right. That's right. You know what I'm saying? That's I do what know we what you're saying. Right now, if we don't start like really paying attention, if we, I believe, I personally believe I don't know, maybe we'll get off this call and somebody will will uh will get off of the 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 podcast and somebody will be like, <gasps> I gotta I gotta call these folks because I really believe that if we were to start a campaign on reforesting California for all the burn that's happened over the last couple of years, we wouldn't have a drought. You know, that is so powerful. And uh, before I comment on that, I'm just going to remind folks who are listening that they're listening to Regenerative Risings, Elevating Stories, Activating Change podcast. I'm your host, Celine Diaris. I'm the founder of Regenerative Rising. And with me today is Matthew Rayford, known as the chief the chef farmer who is uh, has an incredible book called Breezing in the Yam. And he has a farm in Georgia, that has been in his family for 150 years. Um, so there are some Native American groups I've, I'm aware of that are working on some coastal uh, replanting of trees. Okay. And to your point, you're 100% correct. I mean, that re really sort of to reinforce, we have to, um, I, I was in a podcast not so long ago and she asked me, well, what would be your message for people about what can anyone do about this bigger issue? I'm like, well, frankly, there's good news here because many of us have a yard 
or where, you know, where we have a park nearby, there are ways we can become stewards of the landscape around us and make sure no pesticides and all the things that are anti-life, all, you know, fungicides, pesticides, that's all ultimately equals genocide, the living things around you. So, you know, make sure you're not contributing to that issue so that the bugs, the butterflies, I mean, we've got a huge loss in insect life globally from all of this nonsense we've been doing. Uh So, you know, if we each take on even just that piece right in front of our nose, And we start to become more conscious and aware. I mean, in my neighborhood, my yard is literally, um, it's an urban wildlife destination. I got to come. I got to come. You got to come. You definitely got to come. But it's like, I'm not special. I just have been working at it. I've been learning. I've gone online. Just like you said, I can Google like the next person. And I ask folks, I get advice. I observe and I'm just making this part of my my dharma, if you want to say, or just my okay. way of caring about life, because I, I've literally had a hawk. I came out my back door. A hawk was in my vegetable bed. It took off with a garden snake in its talons and flew over and whacked that poor thing. But it was like, whoo, that is the cycle of Nature, life happening. Right? The cycle of life, right? Which which twofold, right? The hawk was able to eat. You didn't walk out and get scared. You know what I'm saying? Or, or jump like, oh, God, what is this? How big is it? Oh, Lord, is it a copper mouth or is it a, you know, I think that all those things, you know, it's, it's super funny. Uh, oftentimes, uh, because we are um, the farm that we are, we don't allow the mosquito trucks to do anything outside of what they do on the county road. Right. So they can't pull down our long drive and turn back out. So they used to. They used to. Um, and one day somebody came and was like, man, your property really isn't that buggy. How do you how do you keep it down? And I was like, what do you mean? How do I keep it down? I said, you know, I said, first of all, I buy the uh, natural mosquito dunks to keep the larva down. I said, that's the first. The, the key is the larva. It's not the mosquitoes. Right, right. Like if you keep that population down, well, there's always standing water. It's the country, you know. Right. If, you know, I, was I mean, like, y'all so are I, in swampland. I mean, you've right, got like swamps, swamp land, and right? mm-hmm. it's the perfect place for them. Perfect but I mean, place. but there's also things that eat them. A lot of things that want to eat them. A lot of things, right? So when we stop that, we all in less than a year's time, we had lightning bugs and dragonflies on a property in massive numbers. And, and probably so, bats that you might not have seen at night, but bats, you know, the bats. Right. So when you look at that, and then you think about, well, you know, somebody, someone might be listening like, wait, do all those things eat mosquitoes? Yes, every last one of those things eat mosquitoes. But if we kill those things off, because that spray is, uh, what a, what a, what's, Neo-insectide, what's yeah. It's, yeah, the insectides are to kill everything. It does not discriminate. That's the word. It's not a And then you're affecting bird life. There's birds depend on, I mean, we, monarch, uh, monarch makes me crazy. Right, monarch butterflies, the geese, like th- there's this whole thing of, you know. And it's so we the web of life. Really hard. We tried really, really hard um, on the property to kind of, make sure we didn't have to worry about those things. And so I think there's that to be said also, where the responsibility for us to not uh, allow someone else to take care of us, so to speak. Like if we know what we need to do, like for instance, when it rains, we try to make sure we turn over or make sure there's nothing that can catch water per se, right? That keeps down mosquitoes. But people leave all kind of trash and stuff around their house and water. And then all of a sudden they walk outside. It's like, where all these bugs come from? <laughs> uh, they come from all this stuff that you just left out. You know, I mean, our compost pile also kills a lot of stuff. Like the bugs that come out of them always like, where did this come from? And I'm like, it's, it's helping break down and, but it's also eating other things. And so I think there's that part of our living that we should be okay with also. Yeah. 
which is taking responsibility for ourselves and our children so that that way as things continue to try to straighten themselves out you can be a part of the solution and not a problem that continues to breed another problem exactly you know? so like i i always say the whole i used to when i was in the military i used to hate having to pick up cigarette butts he's just like drive me crazy i'm like i don't smoke why should i have to pick up cigarette butts right but then i started to understand it ain't about me it's about making sure that all this space out here stays clean. That's what it's, it's not about me. It's not a personal hit on Matthew because he's, it's everybody. Uh, clearly somebody isn't, you know, like if you, you can't complain about picking up cigarette butts when you never tell people that are throwing the cigarette butts on the ground that you saw do it, say, hey, hey, don't, don't throw that on the ground, put it in the trash. Like, if you don't say that, then you know what? Guess what? Go pick up the cigarette butts. And I think well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, we don't say things. Like, we see things happen, and we don't. And, and the thing is, is I think there's also a way to say things to people. Some people are so aggressive in their wanting the world to be a better place that they don't get the fact that they also have to do everything with kindness that they expect it to really happen. You that's know, right. so jump out there and be like, no, don't. No, what are you doing? You know, all that kind of and people are like, oh, I'm doing my thing, you know. But if you came over and was like, hey, can you pick that trash up really quick? Because we're trying to make sure the area stays clean. Most people are going to be like, oh, I, you know, I wouldn't even pay no attention. No, just pick it up and keep moving. Most people. I'm not saying all people. No, and it's they, true. Just because you have someone just because there's 10 times people like, I ain't gonna pick it up. You want to pick it up? You pick it up yourself. Walk <laughs> over there and pick it up. That's what you know I what do. I mean, like, I, show, I, I sort of, I was, that's right. I was a Girl Scout. So I kind of have this in my behaviors. Like if I see a plastic bag or I see plastic on the ground, I will pick it up no matter where I am. If I have to carry it for a while, I'll carry it for a while <laughs> until I can properly throw it away. Because from my perspective, we're all in this together. Yes. And if we funny. all were putting our particular, if, if I was replicated a million times over, then mm -hmm. all of these things that we hear about of plastics ending up in our waterways would be reduced massively just right. by doing something like that. You see a plastic bottle, you see a plastic bag, the bag gets picked up in the wind and starts to go. Well, guess what? So at some point it's going to land probably in water, in water or so. it's going to create a hazard for wildlife. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, is it that hard to demonstrate a little bit of consciousness, a little bit of e extra effort? You lean over. Yeah. Your fingers might get dirty. You can wash them. You know, right. it's like, this is not such a obstacle other than our mentality that has sort of we use the word they well they'll clean it up you know they'll who clean are up, yeah. they they are right. we we are they there is no they there it's is us. No they. right it's us it's us it's us us right and and the thing is is that if if through our actions we're doing those things eventually the people around us will end up looking like us, walking like us, talking like us when it comes to this thing. Yeah. But if we just talk about it and there's no action, it's pointless. it's pointless. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that we've decided on the farm this year to make sure that we planted rice, make sure that we planted hibiscus, make sure that we planted sea island red peas, make sure that we planted onions and garlic and turmeric and ginger. And now we're getting to plant ginseng this year. You know, like, so we're trying to make sure that we also, I mean, we have mint, milk thistle, wild staghorn sumac. Like we have all of these things. We even have lion's mane that's growing on one of the trees. We have nice. uh, chicken of the woods that grow for wild harp. So like paying attention to that life and growing things that are going, that are, that are, uh, that are about growth and about life, I think allows for us also to see the world in a little different light also, right? And I'm not just talking and walking, I'm doing. 
That's right. You know, and I, I thank you for having me on today, you know, because it allows people to know that there are people that are doing it. I think that that's, right. that's also uh, something that we need more of is, is folks like you who will uh, take the chance and, and, and put themselves in a position to show more. Um, I understand you all are talking about having a film coming out soon. Um, well, we're working on our film. We, we have, uh, yeah, but our film is called Culture of Connection. And we want to elevate, you know, often our focus is people who are less often heard from mm -hmm. and whose stories are really reflective of this kind of attention that we're talking about. And today we're talking about how do you bring awareness? Because we all have this as a, we're all capable Right. If we choose to be, it's we not choose. like what we're saying, you got to go get some special degree and you've yeah. got to like have 50 acres, 150 acres. No, you could have like, literally you could have a, a balcony. You could a have bucket. a bucket. Exactly. A bucket. You can a have bucket. a bucket. You can plant. And you know, if anybody's <laughs> listening completely about the whole bucket thing, I, I challenge some, I'm challenging everybody to think about this. One five-gallon bucket, four holes, two inches up, a few rocks, soil, plant yourself a tomato plant, a cucumber plant, cilantro, culantro, garlic, and scallions all in that one bucket and watch what happens. They <laughs> all love growing together. And before you know it, you have salad. And if you don't, and, and if you want, plant some arugula and allow it to keep growing. Don't, That's right. don't like pull it up. We have right now on the farm, we have five, almost like arugula trees that are yes. about three feet up. So we didn't pull anything off of them as they first grew. We let, we let them, the stalk get a little hardy. And now we're actually moving them all to one little space um, that we want to, that's going to be part of our show garden, just to show that, you know, the average tomato plant produces somewhere between 10 and 20 pounds of tomatoes. That's a lot of damn tomatoes. You That's know a lot saying? of, yeah, I do. A lot of, you know, so if you, if you just took that one bucket and said, this is going to be my salad bucket, you already are, you already are contributing to some You will see life come to that bucket. Life. You will see a bumblebee. You will see a right. butterfly. You will know, you can go inhale you're gonna yes, get some good yes. oxygen yes, you know yes yes yeah um, i think yeah it's beautiful yeah, I, mean, I love if, that if, even if you have a windowsill you know if you got a windowsill you know go to target and buy your little uh what's it the little five dollar ten dollar little thing that's the like little, little window boxes yeah. yeah i mean it, it already has the soil only thing you got to do is open it up and add water. I mean, come on now. What's <laughs> easier than adding water to something, right? That's you don't right. have to cook yet either. You don't even have to cook yet. Um, you don't even have to well, be a cook. You can just eat a salad. It's okay to be talk raw. About, let's talk about cooking. Okay. Because, you know, I think one of the things that's part of this journey is, you know, stewarding what's around us. And then we're also talking about how do we better care for ourselves and how do we become more attuned to what really is a way to serve one's own well-being. And, you know, cooking has, I think for a lot of people during the pandemic became a thing more so than before the pandemic that you kind of had the restaurants were closed, a lot mm. of restaurants, you know, so suddenly finding ourselves hungry, we had to figure out how to cook something and I love what this book offers as a, as a guide for not just cooking something, but cooking some really special, special dishes that have a lineage. So, you know, I was kind of leaning into Gullah Geechee before. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole story. Can you share a little bit about that culture and some of how, you know, you're a son of that? Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, so a, a lot of folks don't know, but the Gullah Geechee Corridor runs from North Carolina to North Florida and maybe even a little bit lower than that. And this is where uh, folks of West African descent enslaved people were brought to originally um, to grow rice, um, specifically to grow rice, because actually rice is the first commodity crop in the United States. It was rice. It was not corn. 
We didn't even know about corn. Um, not not to the level that we grow. Or in. cotton. It wasn't cotton, cotton first. Right. It wasn't cotton first either. Um, so people needed to eat. And, uh, you know, when they pulled up here and saw this swampy land, they were like, hmm, okay, we can grow rice. We don't know how to grow rice, but maybe we need to go ahead and enslave some people that can grow rice. And that's basically what happened. And then through uh, the Civil War, when it happened, um, there was what was considered to be white flight. So massive amounts of uh, white people left the area. And a lot of times, they, most of the times, anyone that was left was left on those barrier islands or right on the coast. And so for some reason, they figured we were just going to die off. I don't, I don't even understand why they thought that, considering that we were the hunters, the fishermen, the rice basket, the uh, sweetgrass basket uh, makers. We were the rice folks. Like, like we did all of these things. You know, it was only like five of y'all and a thousand of us, you know, right, right. thousand of us that were doing all the things on these plantations and on these plots. And so to to leave and think that we weren't that we did, that we were so less than you were that we wouldn't be able to survive instead of and also instead of surviving, we thrived. Right. Like we right. were able to build our own communities. We were able to have our own doctors. We we're able to have like lots of things happen when that happened. Um, we talking pre-reconstruction also, like when all of a sudden it was like, oh wait, we gave them what? Oh no, we, we gotta get that back. We, y'all done gave them too much. Um, and so Gullah Geechee folks are like, for me specifically, I'm, my family is Ghana and Cameroon, um, the Takan and the Car tribes. And I talk a little bit about that in the very beginning of the book. And what was important for me was to find out not only that part of my lineage, but to understand what it meant to have this uh, knowledge that is not uh, academia based. Um, so I, you know, oftentimes, you know, we feel like we have to have, you know, all the letters after our names or whatever it might happen to be or the specific school that we went to. Um, but we forget that there's a lot of things in our DNA, a lot of things that have been taught to us when we were children, that if we just took kind of like that deep breath that you had us do right before we get started to center ourselves, if we took a moment to center ourselves as bio individuals, we would be surprised what we find out. And some of us are going to have to dig deeper than others because we have been so separated from uh, our culture or cultures um, depending on who and what you are. And I think that one of the interesting things about Gullah Geechee folks is that, you know, I swore I'd never come back to the South because I grew up in the South in the seventies. And that was my reason. Um, and I even tell people to be very cautious when they use the word new South, um, because it can't be new with the same old thought process. It's not, no. and, and, and we also <laughs> don't call it the only other place that has new in front of it is New York. No other place. We don't call it the new Denver. We don't call it the new Pacific. We don't call it the new Northeast. That's branding. New South. Oh, okay, does that mean that this is, what, is the old South gone? Hello. Is it, is it in hiding no. <laughs> or is it, you know? So, so, I mean, and I and I say that, you know, kind of a little tongue in cheek, but I mean, I'm I'm very serious about that. Like. I didn't want to come back because of, of those things. But, you know, realizing that if I didn't come back, there wouldn't be a seventh generation to understand what this land is and what it means. And I think that a lot of Gullah Geechee folks have left home and are returning, have returned, um, never left, um, that are very grounded in a sense of place like no other. Um, there are a lot of people that believe that California and Boston were created around the same time. They weren't, you know, it was, you know, it was the, the moving out to the West so that the Buffalo actually are prairie animals. They're not prairie animals. They were pushed into the prairie. Like when we start understanding those kinds of things, understanding like the true history and making of the United States, it one will cause us to reflect. It will too allow us to be like, oh, okay, I understand why that person feels that way about this thing. 
Um, and I often run into, you know, even the conversation of folks going, well, my family didn't have any slaves. We, we never had slaves. We had nothing to do with the slave trade. Da, da, da. And I'm always like, okay, but just by the color of your skin, you have a privilege that isn't necessarily, right. you know, there. And that if you understand that and are using it for good, great. If you don't want to understand it so you don't have to use it for good, that's a whole nother conversation. And I think that was also why it was so hard for my sister and I to come back home, you know, because we were like, are we going to go back to the same thing that we left, you know? And, you know, Ahmaud Arbery was killed literally 10 minutes from our farm. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. So when when people get to talking about, uh, I don't know, I, I haven't seen, I don't understand what this is going on because it, it doesn't affect me, blah, blah, blah. It ain't happening in my city. You know, I think that we don't we we are forgetting the connectivity that we have with each other and that I'm not saying I need a bunch of people to run to Brunswick and save us. That isn't what I'm getting at. What no, I'm saying is understanding based on a sense of place what needs to be done locally to make things a better place globally. Like the things that we're seeing happening right now across the world started years ago whether we want to attest to it or not is a whole nother thing. But that everything we're seeing right now with the Ukraine and all and the gas prices go, increasing, that started years ago. Well, that and didn't it's a, wake it's, up and start today. And if we don't know, it didn't to how how we're and what we're saying and what we're doing and the uh, words have power. Oh, yeah. Thoughts, and words, deeds, deeds, they all have yeah, power. They all have power. <laughs> And I think that within the regenerative culture and the regenerative aspects of what you all are doing and what I am doing, what we are collectively trying to do, I think as long as we keep holding each other accountable and having the conversation more than just once or twice a year, um, I, I think we're gonna make, we're gonna make some stride um, going into the next couple of years because I think the only thing that even remotely slowed any of us down, truthfully, was just the fact that it was a pandemic. But well, I mean, and I think a, you know we're on a Zoom call now, so right, right. <laughs> well, you know, and I think Mother Earth had some wisdom in sending her children inside to contemplate their behavior and their Definitely. attitude, and you know, for us to have stories shared from all over the world how wildlife suddenly like oh my gosh, they're not out here. We can walk here and we can do this right. and the flowers come up because we're not trampling them down. Trampling. So yes. I, yes. I think, you know, hopefully for those of us who really are stewards of this work and this conversation and this moment, we have to keep holding each other and our, our fellows to like not forget what we learned in that disruption but Definitely. even to your point, go deeper. Like we really need to make our collective acknowledgement and a deeper reckoning with mm -hmm. how we have what we have now, how we got yes. here, how yes. much yes. has been treated poorly, people and places, both mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. water, the land, the air, we've treated everything like a dumping ground and we've treated certain people as our dumping ground and all of that has to be brought forth and you know shine the light on the that darkness of our bad histories and not be afraid to have you know the acknowledgement that we contribute to it all of us mm -hmm. and the more you make the effort to be mindful of your biases biases are really where this plays out and there mm -hmm. some of them are quick and knee jerk and some of them we spend a little bigger investment to manifest and hold on to right definitely definitely yep so you know i'm for one just like this is to your point this is one of what i hope will be many more conversations with you definitely and I think, you know, when we get further down the path on the film project, I would really like to come and spend some time with our cameras and our story makers and let's come do on. this together. Come on, let's, <laughs> and, and we'll have plenty of food. Lots yes, of, we will. Lots of the bounty from the sea. Um, 
uh, hot tin oysters, you know, low country boil, um, you know, nana sweet potato pie. Let's 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 just put it Ooh. together. You know? I um, am I, ready. I have a question. Are we yes, sir. are we going to in by twenty twenty three be in person again um, to do another conference, or what are you thinking? Well, I'm thinking this year I'm going to have a smaller gathering, which you will be getting an invitation to, but I want to do a smaller space. Mm-hmm. And then um, 2023, yes, we will, okay. we will gather uh, somewhere together. And I'm, I'm also looking at maybe more regional because I think this local attention of our bioregions and who are our allies in our mm-hmm. And our place might even be the next iteration of how we can do this work going forward, because I think there's a lot of importance in building networks there. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, we work globally. So we're also really trying to how do we become more coordinated between all of the voices who are working on indigenous rights, water, Mm -hmm. land, agriculture, fair Mm -hmm. payment to farmers, black farmers, you know, all of the issues that are requiring really a lot of, you know, I feel like it's just like, we need to weave it together better. That's Mm -hmm. more, but that's where I feel called. And and you know what? I, I like the fact that you said regionally, because I think one of the reasons that, uh, things have not always woven together easy enough is because if we stay in one space, so to speak, we end up creating a silo. It's not what we wanted to do, but we end up creating a silo because folks don't think they have access to wherever the the group is, right? So they're just like, well, it's kind of rough to leave Maine and go all the way to Denver. You know what I'm saying? Or, 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 um, yeah, to Denver. And yeah. so if, if that be the case, let's cut that out. Let's say we do something Northeast, Southeast, you know, uh, Southwest, you know, Midwest, you know, uh, uh, Northwest, you know, like that. And then have all of them come weave together for a larger thing, you know, like kind of like a convivium every two years. Right. You know what I'm saying? We, we're then we keep doing our regional thing and then we come together for it. It also creates different levels of camaraderie, too. Right. Because, yes, like I, I would ask you to come to the to come to where we are because you may have the specific thing about plastic and water that I understand we need, but I don't have the wherewithal or the bandwidth myself to do it. But if I can reach out to you and you come and, you, you know, even though yeah. you're from the Midwest, you're still. So I think there's that is the reason why, because we have everybody ends up in a silo. Not, they didn't want to be there, but because they don't have a thing regionally, they don't have anything to connect to. So it's like the only time I get to talk is when I talk to Celine. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> yeah. if that's the only time. Right. It's kind of like uh yeah, no, it will wither. It'll wither on the vine. So, yeah, yeah I, I hear you. And I, I think what's exciting is that I just feel like this is sort of what's emerging as I come back to work. You know, I've mm-hmm. gone through a cancer process. I've really used that time to do deep Reflection. investigation into myself. Mm-hmm. And I've come out with a racism pisses me off and I'm over that. And I want to do everything in my power with my little world and my platform to just keep challenging these, these really stupid ideas and patterns of behavior, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's like your genius is your genius. And the fact that you have that beautiful skin tone is just your good fortune. And, you know, it's just, it's, that is not the delineation about who you are and my pink complexion Mm -hmm. is going to mean, you know, it's better for me not to be in that hot Georgia sun. (laughs) Although it's not so great for me to be in this mile high sun either. I don't know where I belong in the cave, I guess, but (laughs) Uh, you know, Maybe you need to travel back and forth because, I mean, we have a really mild winter here. 
Yes. I'm, like our winters are not hot and they're 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 sweater weather, you know, not so much parka weather. You know, we have a couple of parka days, but not right, like right. You know, well, I so, definitely yeah. want to come and spend some time with you on your family farm, and I would love to reciprocate and have you come stay with us here in uh, Boulder open. County. The door right is on. Open. Yeah, right on. Definitely. That's what I was trying to say. Boulder. I knew I. I was like, I. I got Denver stuck in my head because I've been traveling, flying through Denver. Well, that you know, you fly into Denver to get to Boulder. To get to um, Boulder, right? Yeah, but you know, I think. To your point, what's really an opportunity for this moment in time is, as we both were saying, you know, let's let's pay attention to where we are. We do need to network. We need to grow the community and strengthen the bonds between us so that we know we're not alone in this work. We've got Definitely. allies who will lean in with their expertise because, you know, we definitely all have the thing we know well, and that's beautiful. It's like, it's just like in the natural world. There are things that have particular things that they do really exquisitely. Mm -hmm. And to your point about planting the beans who fix the nitrogen with the plant that needs that nitrogen to grow, but they mm -hmm. create something different, some sugars that those beans really need. I mean, it's like, Nature is our teacher. She's got plenty yeah. of wisdom to impart. We need to mm -hmm. be a little less full of our own hubris to right. sit down, slow down, pay a yes. little attention, right? Because mm -hmm. the good news is that this earth is so capable of recovering. Yes. If we work with her as her children should work with her. But she's requiring her children to work together. That's right. That is exactly what she is requiring. She's requiring her children. I mean, like never before is it taking all of us to make this full swing. So I, I feel uh, I feel hopeful. So do I. So do I. Well, that's probably a good place to close our conversation for today on that beautiful awesome. shared hopefulness. So <laughs> you have been listening to a conversation on regenerative rising, elevating stories, activating change with my guest, Matthew Rayford, who is the chef farmer based in Georgia, beautiful family farm for six generations. Oops. And I am Selene Diaris, your host from Regenerative Rising. And I'm so grateful for you uh, being with me today. And we're going to do this again. <laughs>